0: Good morning, morning. morning. I'm Father Spencer, and I am freezing. (laughs) Today I have the honor of proclaiming good news to you all, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today we proclaim the good news that nothing stands between you and God's love. Your hurts and your hustles aren't keeping you from God. In fact, they are the very context in which God is meeting you today. Jesus is illuminating your salvation today. Come and worship at his feet. Our gospel passage in Luke 17 ends like this. Then Jesus asked, were not 10 made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. It's hard not to read these passages a certain way. Even this week in preparation, the first time that I read it, all I could hear was Jesus shaming the nine for not returning to say thank you. It's almost as if I have this habit of reducing Scripture down to being an etiquette lesson Read that way, this essentially is Jesus teaching us that you ought to tell people thank you when they give you nice things. You know, a thank you card every now and then wouldn't hurt. So, the good news is, we are called to develop an attitude of gratitude. Let's make Eucharist. I'm sorry, friends, but this good news, if we could call it that, is not good enough. No people of God. The Creator didn't speak to us in the flesh simply to teach us to thank people when they do nice things for us. What God has in store for you is better than an etiquette lesson. It's better than a new strategy for applying shame so that you'll finally behave better. God in the flesh spoke to us and is speaking to us now. Not with practical tips for advancing your own happiness project, but to announce the kingdom of heaven breaking forth in reality today. A gospel that sets captives free, that heals the sick, that welcomes outsiders home. As I read the passage, I can see my own parenting style at work in that first reading, that shaming of the nine. I mentioned in Sunday school today that yesterday morning I went and took the kids to get donuts and then I had to run some errands with them. And, of course, inevitably, when you have given them the donuts before you need something from them, you have thrown away all leverage that you had as a parent. Even the word leverage is kind of revealing of my own disposition in this situation. I confess. I need to repent of it. So we got donuts and then we're at Home Depot and, of course, I'm instantly thinking, I've asked you 10 times to hurry up, and only one of the 10 times have you actually hurried up. I told you we had things to do. (laughs) As if I can use this donut over their heads as shame to get them to finally behave. The good news that's at work in this text is so much better than that. The Creator is so much better of a Father than I have an imagination to be without saying yes to His way of being in the world. So our Luke passage begins with setting the location, setting the scene, which is vitally important. He's on his way to Jerusalem between Samaria and Galilee. Jerusalem is the location of the temple, but it's also the social and political center of their day. So he is going, he's on his way to a very important place for a reason, but also he's between Samaria and Galilee. We know that there's enmity and prejudice between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. We see this in a couple other passages in Scripture, but it's easy for us to forget about that. But it would have been obvious to the first hearers of this story, those who first read it. There's the fundamental divide between Samaritans and Jews is the placement of the true temple, and so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to the temple in this in-between space where there's hatred and prejudice that centers on this disagreement about where the temple is located. This is all the setup for the punchline that's gonna come later in the passage. On his way, he encounters 10 lepers. The disease leprosy had social and spiritual ramifications. So the text says they kept their distance, They were on the outskirts. They were cast out of regular life. In fact, one of the commentaries that I was reading in preparation this week is saying that beyond their physical affliction, the the social implications were even harsher than the physical pain that they were experiencing as those with leprosy, because they were cast out and cut off in every way. So in every way possible, they were considered the poor or the outsider, We don't know the makeup of the other nine lepers. But it is revealed that the one who returns is a Samaritan. So it could have been that all ten of them were Samaritans. Or maybe it was a mix of Jews and Samaritans. Perhaps they were so cast out, they were so afflicted socially, that that divide, that barrier was cast aside by them and they just had to be together as outsiders. We don't know. But Jesus responding to their request for mercy tells them to go and show themselves to the priests although jesus doesn't specify which temple they're supposed to go to so finally god in the flesh has arrived on the scene this would be a great opportunity to settle the age-old debate between the samaritans and the jews which temple should they go to let's get some clarity here jesus please But Jesus doesn't do that. He simply says, go, show yourselves to the priests. These insurmountable differences between Jew and Samaritan are already being mediated. This is actually like a preview of the good news. Already, we're not even to the end of the passage, but we're seeing that Jesus is mediating and reconciling differences that we thought were insurmountable. They were deep-rooted and long-standing. These 10 lepers cry out and ask for a merciful visitation from God. Master, have mercy on us. There's three phrases that are used in the passage to talk about their request and their actually becoming made clean. One is the typical phrase associated with one that's labeled as clean from recovering from leprosy, to be made clean. Another is to be healed more generally. And then the last is to be saved. And so there's this intermingling of ideas in the passage. To be saved and to be physically healed and to be restored into their society and their community is all wrapped up together. It's all integrated and holistic. It's not just one piece. It's not just personal. It is personal, but it's also public. They are invited back into life. They can go back and be with their families. They can reintegrate with their community. The healing is beyond just personal. But finally, at the end of the passage, we actually see the punchline of all this, right? It's easy for us to miss this. In fact, the standalone sentence, he was a Samaritan, at first blush doesn't mean anything to us. It can almost just be an empty adjective as we read through the passage. But this is the crux of the good news in this passage. The first hearers and readers of this would have been paying attention to this. In fact, I can almost imagine and like a, a gasp in the room. That's why it's its own. It has its own place in Scripture. He was a Samaritan. This person that was an outsider because they were a leper, leper, is also somebody that's an outsider because they they may not even know the right temple to be worshiping at. And yet, what distinguishes the one from the nine in this passage, is that he had eyes to see. The passage says he saw that he was healed. So what differentiates is not that he was right, that he was better in some way, but the text specifies that this leper, on his way to the priest, looked and saw, oh man, something has changed. The eyes of his understanding were opened, which is a theme throughout all of Luke. This is something that we can't control, our own understanding, but it's the Spirit's work that God is doing in each of us. So Jesus emphasizes the point, we're not 10 made clean, so where are the other nine? This isn't meant to shame the other nine lepers, but this is God using the racism, the enmity, the hatred of that day to hold up this Samaritan leper as an emblem of faithfulness, someone whose eyes have been opened by the Spirit, who has seen God at work and said yes to that work and consented to that work. The word that Jesus uses for this foreigner is the equivalent to identifying someone as being from the wrong family, not from the family of Abraham. So in every way, this person would have been seen as an outsider. They were born in the wrong place. They're from the wrong people. They had all the wrong ideas. And yet God has made them clean and the Spirit has opened their eyes. invited them to say yes to that salvation friends nothing stands between you and God's love what ails and afflicts you is not a barrier keeping you from God instead it is the holy ground on which the kingdom is breaking free in your life Jesus is illuminating your salvation today come and worship at his feet We see a similar picture in our Old Testament passage today in 2 Kings. Naaman is a commander in the army of Aram. He's really good at his job, and his job is to fight against and take advantage of and hurt God's people. But Naaman also has leprosy. And a young Israelite girl who's been taken captive and is forced to be a servant in Naaman's house says, if Naaman only knew. If Naaman could go and talk to the prophet, then he could be healed. So through political machinations, the king of Aram, context, the king of Israel, they make a way for Naaman to go and meet with Elisha. But when Naaman arrives to see Elisha, Elisha doesn't come out. He sends a messenger out to tell him, Go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you shall be made clean. Naaman is angry about this. Elisha didn't even come out to see him. He didn't get healed instantly. Naaman says, our rivers are better than this. I'm not getting in an Israelite river. This is stupid. But his servants save save him by saying, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? Naaman, not only an outsider, Not just an outsider, but also someone whose whole job that he's very good at is oppressing and hurting God's people. Has trouble with his instructions, not because of being an outsider, but because they're too simple. All the complications of his identity are not too much for God, but Naaman can't get out of his own way. Finally, through the wisdom of his servants, his eyes are open and he's able just to simply say yes To God and receive his healing. This is a whole different sermon, but it's clear to me in both of these passages the wisdom of the poor and the outsider. The Samaritan leper is praised for his faith. A captive girl is the one who gives Naaman this idea. And Naaman's servants are the ones who convince Naaman to return and just bathe in the Jordan so that he can be healed. Church, nothing stands between you and God's love. Your hurts and your hustles aren't too much for God. You are invited to get out of your own way. Your hurts and your hustles are the very context in which God is meeting you today. Jesus is illuminating your salvation. Come and worship at his feet. God is saying three things to us, at least. In these passages fundamentally before we can get into anything else nothing can separate you from the love of God not where you're from not what you've done nothing that has been done to you can separate you from the love of God first and foremost you are beloved of God the second thing that we're learning and seeing in this good news is that our belovedness frees us to encounter and engage with our neighbors, our family, strangers, and outsiders differently. So who would be the punchline in this story for you, in your context? Who, if subbed in for the Samaritan leper or for Naaman, would feel like a bridge too far, which might cause an audible gasp in this room? Not only are you free from the lie that your own hurts and hustles keep you from God's love, but you're also free to believe the same about everyone that you encounter. It may be easier for us to extend grace when what we see is someone's hurt, but I confess to you that the hardest thing for me is when I'm aware of somebody's hustle and I feel like they're trying to hustle me. But the good news, part of the good news is that it's not up to you to reveal that to them, that you are free to love that person. Not as something that you have to muster up or manufacture or fake, but you're free to love being someone that has received love. As Christ's body, we are peacemakers. We are able to join in Christ's work of mediating long-standing, deeply rooted rifts It's not up to you to figure out which is the right temple to, to worship at. And the third thing that we see and learn here is that it's not all up to you. It's not on you to figure out your own healing and acceptance, you don't have to make a way for yourself. Your eyes are being opened to God's salvation work in your life. You are free to simply get out of your own way Let go of those pieces of your identity that you hold on to, that you feel like if you said yes to the work that God is doing in your heart, you would lose that part of yourself. You're free to release that and say yes. It's also not up to you to mediate reconciliation in every broken heart that you encounter or every broken relationship in your own home or your family of origin or at work. That would just be another way of picking up shame to try to get ourselves to perform better. God is present and at work in your life and in the lives of everyone that you know, every person that you encounter today, throughout this week. God is present and at work in their life. So the Spirit is drawing you deeper into that reconciliation work. All you have to do is say yes. Our New Testament passage today in 2 Timothy Finishes saying this Avoid wrangling over words, which does no good but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by Him, a worker that has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. It's so easy to read these passages, each of them in a certain way. But reading the first two passages, our Old Testament passage and our gospel passage in this light of Jesus and God calling those who are outcasts and foreigners in, welcoming them in, totally repaints how we can read Second Timothy. It's so easy to read, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him as you better work your bottom off so that you can be approved. But you can also read it as, do your best to accept your acceptedness. Do your best to say yes to your belovedness, even when it's hard to believe that. Do your best to live as a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And that is rightly explaining the word of truth. Friends, nothing can stand between you and God's love. Every hurt, every hustle, they don't stand in the way of God reaching you. That is the very ground on which God is meeting you at. It's holy ground. Jesus is revealing it today. and You are free to worship at his feet. So as we respond, we'll come to the table of our Lord. And when we come... We're not just remembering Christ's sacrifice for us, but we are being remembered as the body of Christ. That's why we come together each week. We partake of the body. We give the gifts of our lives. We receive the gift of his body and his blood, and we are remembered as the body of Christ. I want you to hold in your heart all the stories that you've heard saying that you don't belong, the reasons that you don't qualify or that you're not accepted, Bring those with you to the table today, knowing that you are a part of this body, that you are beloved of God, and nothing can stand in the way of that. Beloved, let's feast on the body and blood of Christ together today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.